Evidence and Answers. There are numerous individuals who claim to have died and gone to heaven, and some who have even gone to hell. What are we to make of these near-death experiences? Are they real? And if so, what do they prove? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast with your host, Pat Zucrin. Pat is the director of the Pacific Apologetic Center, a subsidiary ministry of the Bible Institute of Hawaii. Pat is a popular teacher, speaker, and author in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In this episode of Evidence and Answers, Dr. Gary Habermas will explore this fascinating topic. This study was taken from this year's Hawaii Apologetics Conference, recently held in Honolulu, and featured some of the more prominent Christian speakers from this country. Without delay, let's conclude with part two of a message entitled, Near-Death Experiences, with guest speaker, Dr. Gary Habermas. People in near-death states are often drawn to where their families are, a waiting room during surgery, somewhat nearby if there's a car accident, they're often caught to where their family is. And she said, my brother was up in his room and he was playing with this. My sister was up in her room and she was playing with this. A popular song came on the radio. Okay, good. What's the name of that song? She told him. He wrote it down. Dad was in the living room and mom was making dinner. Oh, okay. There's a point of contact with the real world that we can check out. What was your mom making for dinner? And she said, mom was cooking roast chicken and rice. Roast chicken and rice. Of course, the family comes running in. I can't believe my little girl, my baby's back. She's doing fine. And the doctors are saying, sir, what were you doing the other night? To the little boy, what were you doing? And to the mom, what were you doing? Made dinner. What'd you make? Oh, it was nothing much. I warmed up some leftovers, just chicken and rice. Wow. How does she know what's going on in the house while she's tied down to all these machines without brainwave activity. And this pediatrician experienced several of these reports before he became convinced that there was a God somewhere in the universe. He became a theist of sorts. He didn't know what kind. In fact, he told me on the phone, he said, he said you know, I kind of wished I'd gone into philosophy instead of medicine. He said, because this has really caused me to think about some of the big questions. Okay, it's pretty cool. He's written several books on children's near-death experiences. Now, that's one real case. In other cases, there are blind folks who are congenitally blind. They've been blind their whole lives. And the only time they've seen anything is in a near-death experience. They have a near-death experience. They report something about the world. They get stabilized. And now they don't see anymore. But they tell you what the world looked like for the first time to them. And sometimes folks can check this, this stuff out. It's very interesting. There's different kinds of near-death experiences. Some people, like the case I got today. Now, the one I had today was this fellow I told you about who was out for 45 minutes, measurably. He was in a hospital, and they had him hooked up to machines and so on. By the way, the atheist who had the near-death experience, his heart was not beating, according to the machines, for four and a half minutes. That's not a real long time, but I'm just making the point that he, too, was hooked up to machines, as the little girl was, as the fella on the, uh, in the article today. A lot of people don't remember their experience during that time. But there are reports of people who have had no measurable brainwave activity for sometimes 45 minutes or more. 
and then give a blow-by-blow description of the EMTs coming, what happened, and some of the accounts are very, very interesting. And like I said, if you have a cardiac arrest, you can have a near-death experience, post-measurable heart activity, post-measurable brain activity. And those are very evidential because of the state, the measurable state you're in. Now, what about that last category, the final category, biological death? We define it as irreversible death. If you came back, you weren't. But there are some reports of people who have claimed to have talked to somebody in that state. That person's not coming back, but the one who talked to them comes back. I've got a friend, a friend of both of ours, a well-known theologian, author in this country, and his dad died. After his dad died, his wife wanted to take back a piece of furniture that was expensive, and her husband had purchased it, and she didn't have any use for it, and she knew he kept such good records, she knew where she could find the receipt. And she went back into the the box of receipts, pulled out the receipt, and guess what she saw when she pulled the receipt out? She saw these words, these words written across the front of the receipt. Even from heaven, you still look beautiful. So what? And she called her PhD son, a theologian. Look at this. And it affected him so much that he took a Xerox of it, folded it up, and carries it everywhere he goes in his wallet. He says, I don't know what it is. I'm not trying to say it passes all these tests, but it's kind of important to me that my mom found that. Even from heaven, you still look beautiful. You know, we don't know what to make of some of these things. Now, let me talk a little bit about evidence and a little bit what do we do with these reports that don't seem to line up with Scripture. Okay, by the way, before I do that, two other topics real quickly. There is a category that I like to talk about when I do these lectures, and I call it NDE humor. Only this isn't the kind, where's Dave when you need him? It's not those kind of jokes. You know, the kind Dave's been telling. These are real jokes. These, I don't mean his aren't real. Well, yeah, I do mean that. But these are actual cases. These are things that happened in the near-death experience. Okay, here's one. A woman in Indiana was dying of cancer, and she was in the operating room. They're trying to help her out, and she died on the operating table. She had no measurable brain wave, no, no measurable heart, and they pronounced her dead after they worked on her for quite a while, 20, 25 minutes. They covered her with a sheet. They waited for the fellows to come to take her to the hospital morgue, and as the guys were pushing her down the hallway, she sat up. That's called Twilight Zone NDE. Another one was of a blind biologist. And as his body was taken to the hospital morgue, one of the guys pushing it lost something out of his pocket. And there were a bunch of beds in there with bodies and sheets over them. And he couldn't find it, and he looked around, and he just left. And when this person came to, which they did, 
they said, by the way, the object you lost is over in the corner, over there. I watched it go across the floor. All right, here's another one. Person died in a hospital, covered the body. A scrub nurse came in, shut the door, started washing the bed down and cleaning things up, waiting for the fellows to come to take the body to the hospital morgue. And a doctor came in, just like in the medical programs, and started doing things with the nurse that doctors shouldn't be doing with the nurse. The patient, who reported being up above the body, reported them both. (laughs) True story. Here's another one. A woman was in the middle of surgery, and she had a near-death experience. She was drawn to where her family was, a couple floors away. And as she looked into the room where her body was elsewhere in surgery, she saw her brother-in-law pacing in the room. And he said, if she's going to kick the bucket, I hope she hurry up and does it. I have an appointment. And when she came to, she said, did you see this? And he said, I'd rather not incriminate myself. There is a case, one of the most evidential cases, of a woman who was, well, I'd have to explain it to you. They had to shut down. It's a certain kind of surgery where you stop the heart, the brain stops. It's called Operation Standstill. And in that state, she not only reported several evidential things that happened, she reported what a male doctor said, a politically incorrect joke about her. And when she came to, the doctor came into the room, and she said, did you say this about me? And he said, you need to get some sleep. And he turned around and walked out. Well, the book was published by a Christian publisher, Zondervan, and there's no joke in the book. They must have thought it was not the kind of thing you want to publish in a Christian book. I don't know. But I was one of the guys I asked for to write a blurb, because I've done a lot of work on near-death experiences. And as I tell people, I have the loose-leaf manuscript. I've got the joke. So I've got the account of what she told the doctor when she was out. So there's a lot of these little tiny stories, a little bit of humor. She said it was a good thing she liked that doctor, because what he said wasn't all that nice. But she could tell later what he'd said. She also knew that part of the surgery didn't work, They had to go in through a different way. She was having open brain surgery. And the report about them having to go and do something different, it's written in her medical record during the surgery. I mean, the notes that were taken that were later transcribed into notes. So that's a little near-death humor. One other category that's not humorous. Some people have reported hell cases. One medical doctor who was an agnostic who became a born-again Christian after having... He was one of, the CPR expert, uh, one of the CPR pioneers in this country. He was a cardiologist. He resuscitated people after they were having a stress test and fell down with a heart attack. Maybe you don't want to go in for that stress test next week. And when he would be working on them, one guy came to about a half dozen times. Came to, passed out, came to, passed out. The doctor's an agnostic, and the guy said, 
doctor, doctor, save me, I'm in hell. And he's still pumping the guy's chest, trying to ignore what the guy's saying. The guy comes to, he said his hair was standing straight up. Doctor, doctor, save me, what should I do? The doctor got a little ticked after the third or fourth time. He said, I don't know, I'm not a preacher, I'm a doctor, pray. Well, he's an agnostic. And he said, pray. And then he went, kept working on the guy. When the guy came to, the medical doctor went into his room and said, hey, I've got a question for you. What's this health stuff? And the guy goes, health stuff? Yeah, every time you came to, I mean, there were 10 of us in the room. Everybody heard you say it. He said, well, doc, I'm not saying I didn't say it. I just don't have any idea what you're talking about. I have no memory of that. And the doctor hypothesized that maybe if we're having a bad experience, that might be some of the reports that people don't have any memory, and they block those kind of things out of their consciousness. By the way, the person who said he was in hell several times was a, at least professed, Christian and leader in his church. There are hell cases. There's not a lot of them. But, you know, why do they have these experiences? Okay, what do we have so far? I think it's very important when evidential cases of near-death experiences are reported. Somebody who potentially, remember that's not a real case, but potentially sees a car accident on the other side of this building, something you can't see even if you were standing in the doorway over there. And they report the details. Or something at home, what's mom making for dinner a mile or two away from here? But you don't have, you know, you don't have the recording working, as far as anybody can tell. No heart, no brain, as far as can be told. I think those are evidences that naturalism is not a correct view of the universe. Next to God's existence, afterlife is probably the next thing that is the hardest for naturalists to believe. It's probably the next thing on their list after God, because they don't believe in a supernatural world, and they don't want to live after death, generally. That's what they say. And so I think, number one, NDE is a way to open up dialogue, because anybody will sit there and talk with you about NDEs. But if you say, oh yeah, I've been researching the resurrection, let's talk about the resurrection, they can say, sorry, I don't discuss religion, and they don't want to talk to you. But they'll talk about near-death experiences. So sometimes it's a conversation opener, sometimes it's a way to open a path and say, I beg to differ with you, there is an afterlife. And then that, for me, I wouldn't stay on the ND topic for very long, I'd begin talking about resurrection right away. Let me tell you about a specific case. In fact, I have a sheet that I pass out when I go to universities, because I'm often asked to speak on this topic. On the front, there are four evidential NDE cases out of the hundred I've collected. There are four. And when you turn the sheet over, it's the resurrection of Jesus. Because what I say is something like this. This isn't a near-death experience, but let me tell you about another event which purports to be about the afterlife. It's called the resurrection of Jesus. Can we talk about it? Now, what's the guy going to say at that point? No, there's no afterlife. Well, then you explain the NDEs. And I'll tell you something. I've been in a lot of situations, debates, university campuses. Nobody has an explanation for the evidential NDEs, the evidential ones. You go, okay, okay, I could see a conversation starter, 
uh, naturalism's wrong. I can see where it might be helpful. But what do we do with these cases where an atheist says, I had a good time, or all the religions are paths up the same mountain, or I didn't go to judgment, I didn't see any judgment. In fact, I felt really good. What do we say about cases like that? Now, a lot of Christians, when we have conflicting information, we have a tendency to throw out the baby with the bathwater. We throw the whole thing out. And we say, yeah, I think these can't be biblical experiences. Maybe Satan did it. Now, I'm not saying Satan can't do it. I don't think NDEs are satanic or occultic. They're normal. I mean, I often ask Christians this. What do you expect will happen when you die? Well, the Bible says you'll still have memory. And, you know, I mean, on the surface, there's nothing wrong with the report. And the person may never have been involved in the, in the occult, or the person could be a little child. The person could be a very, very committed Christian. have a lot of those. But here's the way I explain the part of the experience I don't agree with, whether it's Christian or non-Christian. I have the same rule for both. Why am I interested in these? Because of the evidence. And it seems to say the number one rival to Christianity is not true, naturalism. So I, I take interest in that evidence. But, again, why do I like it? Evidence. What about when the person says, I'm an atheist and I had a great experience? Or I was caught up to heaven and I saw Allah. I stood before Shiva. Here's the problem. I've already said it a couple times in the lecture. We don't have any machines that are Shiva machines or angel machines or Allah machines. You go, well, you're saying that because those are not Christian. No, we don't have any machines that say Jesus either. I can't tell what you saw. Well, I'm telling you what I saw. Yeah, I know, but that's your experience. What I'm saying is, why should I be bothered by the experience of someone who says I was there any more than someone else who's not a Christian who says I was somewhere else and had an experience? You know, if there's no data, I'll just say, oh, yeah, well, a lot of people have religious experiences. My point, and there's a lot of, you folks might want to pursue this during the Q&A. I've just got a few minutes left here now, though, but... My point is, where there's evidence, I'm inclined to talk about it. That's my job. I'm a professional apologist. I deal with evidence for religion in general, Christianity in particular. And so I'm interested in the evidential part. But what bothers you when you say, well, this guy said he was an atheist and he saw the afterlife, that's fine. The question is, what does he do with it? He's the one that saw it. I didn't. Well, you mean you don't know if you you would say he wasn't there? I don't know where he was. Well, you're saying that because it's negative. No, I say it about Christians too. What do you mean? Well, if someone says, I went to hell, and that kind of supports the Christian worldview, I'll say, could have been because you were raised in the Bible Belt. Could have been a hallucination. I don't know. The knife cuts both ways. I don't have any way of telling whether private religious experiences are true or false. I don't have meters. But I am interested in car accidents on the other side of that building when you were lying dead on the floor, dead by all measurable means. 
So this worldly things I can talk about. Other worldly things, I don't have any machines that test. So I do pick and choose. And I say the evidential portion, I'm inclined to look at. The non-evidential portion, I can't answer yay or nay, whether it's Christian, non-Christian, atheist. I, that's great. Now, near-death experiences, sometimes they're very, very moving. I was speaking to a group of Christian medical doctors, speaking to the Christian Medical Association one time. One of the topics I was speaking, I was near-death experiences. And I was almost done, and over on this part of the room, a woman, I got to know these people because we had breaks, and they were in like a little resort town, and they were having a good time away from the office, and we were having a crash course in apologetics that weekend for Christian Christian medical doctors. I spoke on about 10 different topics so that they could know how to talk to their patients about the Lord. And there was a woman right over here, and she was sitting next to her ear, nose, and throat specialist husband with an MD from Stanford. And imagine what it did to the atmosphere of the crowd when, when I was about finished. She raised her hand, and I said, yes. And she said, I've been to heaven. Now, the medical doctors in the room, all the heads turned around. There's a woman down in the front row, double specialization, pediatric blood specialist, University of Illinois Medical School. And she kind of yells across to the woman. She goes, just don't sit there. Tell us about it. So the woman said, well, I was delivering my third child. There were complications. I went to heaven. It was incredible. She started making comments. And I said to the doctors, I'll interview her the way I interview somebody who said an ND. And I started talking. I said, let me ask you a question to the mother. I said, let me ask you a question. You haven't seen your baby yet. She said, no, I haven't. Not at that point. And I've been led to believe, I told her, that the strongest biological tie in the universe is between a mother and a child. And she said, I'll buy that. You haven't seen your baby yet? No, I haven't seen my baby yet. Did you want to come back and see your baby? Now, I think it was because she felt a little bit guilty. But she hung her head and she said, no. I didn't want to come back. I wanted to stay. It was everything I could hope for, everything I could dream about. Now, Dr. Rhodes is going to be talking to us a little later today about the wonders of heaven, but I'm being honest with you. I'm not doing what I said a moment ago I won't do. I don't know if she went to heaven. I have no way of telling, no way to check it. But I can tell you it affected her life, just like you talk to some of these people who've gone to hell, or they say they've gone to hell. It affects their life. By the way, the guy that said he went to hell and he was the Baptist, years later he had another near-death experience, and he had a heavenly experience. You know what? I don't know what he did in between, but I would sure have done something in between if I were him. Subjective or not subjective, I would have done something. But it is impressive because it affected her life. By the way, later she had another really, really bad car accident. She had a brain injury, and she had no memory of it. So not everybody has near-death memories. All right, I'm going to bring this to a close real quickly. Why is this useful in an apologetics conference? Once again, because I think near-death experiences in general tell us this. It's not a lot, but what it tells us is important. J.P. Moreland and I wrote a book called Beyond Death, 
And we argue that near-death experiences report moments of consciousness beyond the first stage of what we might call near-death. We don't say it's irreversible death or anything like that. But moments of consciousness beyond the initial state called near-death, a near-death state. If you're an atheist, that should be really uncomfortable to you. And it seems to be a nail in the coffin of the naturalist. I have used it many, many times as a conversation starter on secular campuses with secularists who say, I won't listen to your evidence of the resurrection. It's just plain silly. Well, then when you listen to NDEs, yeah, I'm actually kind of interested in them. Let's talk about it. And if they can't explain, and they can't, the evidential cases... Now, especially if we have a friendship, he lives next door to me, we watch football games together, maybe a few weeks from now, I can talk to him about the resurrection of Jesus, but he wouldn't allow that to happen weeks before. That's the way I use it. It's evidence that this is a religious worldview. Doesn't tell you what religion. Just tells you religion's in, naturalism's out. And then you have to use other evidences, resurrection, scripture, other things, to argue that Christianity is true. So I myself, I think it has some value, and I'm most interested in the evidential cases. And just one last time, I don't really say anything about the other kind, Christian or non-Christian, don't have any grounds to judge. I can only talk about what I can judge about, and those are the evidences that are explained. They may or may not be in Scripture, these kind of cases. I try to be real careful, like we've discussed these things this week, but like Dr. Rhodes I'm very, very leery of anything occultic. So I'll go out of my way to make sure that this isn't used in that matter. But I'm only interested in people who come near death. It's not their fault they almost died. They didn't want to. In other words, they weren't getting into something they shouldn't have. They just came close to dying. And this is a human experience, so we can talk about it. Thanks. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. This concludes Dr. Gary Habermas's study entitled Near-Death Experiences, which was taken from this year's Hawaii Apologetics Conference. Evidence and Answers is a ministry of the Pacific Apologetics Center, a subsidiary of the Bible Institute of Hawaii. Evidence and Answers relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. If you would like to team up with us, please start with prayer. And then to donate, log on to our website at evidenceandanswers.org. Evidence and Answers is brought to you by our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions for more than 20 years. To learn more, please visit their website at www.hcmlp.com. Join us here next week or on the web for more evidence and answers. 